Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Alicia Leggett and I'm here today with just Dario to introduce this one. Today we have an episode with Elliot Jackson, someone who seems to do just about everything on all sides of our sport, and it's great to catch up with him when we do, but first we're going to update you on some of the news. The big happening this week was Red Bull Hardline, which happened for the first time in Tasmania. Spoiler alert for a few seconds from now, Ronan Dunn put down an absolutely incredible run to take the win, and we saw some really great riding from a lot of other people too, but I won't spoil much more of what happened. My favorite part actually was seeing two ladies race for the first time, Gracie Hemstreet and Louise Ferguson. Dario, what was your favorite part? Louise Ferguson's run was insane. She crashed twice and still hit every feature, which was very intense to watch um that was so incredible uh ronan dunn's run was like incredible as well i mean he was he had like the perfect line the entire way down and that's a kind of course where like i think hardline five years ago people were just getting through the course and like the times were kind Mm -hmm. of incidental and for maybe half of the field that's still the case but watching those like fast racer guys hit it it's clear that they're treating it like a race course and that's a pretty wild thing to think about like it's a combination of like Mm -hmm. these single huge features some pretty gnarly sections of trail and then like dark fest size jumps at the bottom it it was cool yeah it was really interesting it was so interesting to kind of see the transition from the free riders approaching it to the racers you could see a really clear divide with people who are kind of trying to have fun with it and of course make it they made it look stylish and incredible but then as we moved up kind of the start list, then we moved into the people who are really approaching it with a lot of speed and treating it like a World Cup track. And it was so impressive to see what they could do. Super cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was an awesome event. I think they did a really good job of like, you know, obviously the course was amazingly well built, um, but like commentary, the the atmosphere seemed great. And it's like, it's cool that they can do this in like the most remote mm-hmm. corner of the earth as well. Um, you know, Tasmania is this like tiny island off Australia. It goes to show that like if there's investment and interest, like you can put on a really cool mountain bike event kind of anywhere. Oh, for sure. Um, which just makes it all the more frustrating that we don't have a hard line anywhere in North America yet. But I think, you know, fingers crossed we get a Whistler hard line at some point in the next couple of years here. Oh, that'd be so cool. I'm really curious just to see what happens here with both women's racing and then also just the non-UCI sort of more offbeat events hmm. continuing to really develop and put themselves on the map. I think there's so much potential there. For sure. Yeah. And then in other news, we still ride bikes around here. And last week we had two days in a row where we had break reviews. And I'm kind of curious. Well, so one of those reviews was focusing on SRAM's new offering, and the other was from the much smaller Lewis. Dario, how much do details like brakes affect your experience of the whole ride and how a bike works? I think massively. I mean, uh, you know, they can seem kind of boring, like any single component can sometimes. You know, brakes are like meant to be this unfussy thing that just kind of works. Uh, Sadly, that's not usually the case. Um, But both of these reviewed well and uh i've personally been spending a ton of time on the mavens i'd say brakes are like you know up there with tires and the frame itself is like the most important parts of a bike i mean uh 
like I'm I'm reviewing a bike right now that I like it came with some pretty lame brakes and just swapping those out to a more capable set made the whole bike feel a lot better. And I think that that uh, holds true with pretty much anything out there. It's like if you can slow down effectively, you can go a lot faster. Sure. There are just a few parts of the bike that really sort of make or break a ride. And I think brakes are one of those. Like if you if you can't slow down effectively, then it just introduces a level of not trusting the bike that really doesn't make it feel okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, and these both of the, the models that we so we've got the Lewis, the Lewis LHT Ultimates um, from a like they're essentially like a, a Chinese uh fabrication house that's making these like very high-end four piston stoppers they kind of like exploded onto the scene about a year ago and um have like seemed to work quite well i mean matt liked them and matt is particular about brakes and then on the other end of the spectrum we've got the mavens from sram and that's like the biggest name in components and one of the biggest and the brakes are really good um, I've gotten quite a bit of time on them and I'm looking forward to more, uh, they're ridiculously powerful and I think they'll be a fun addition to a lot of different bike builds. Sweet. So you think they're an improvement to what had SRAM previously? Um, yeah, I think compared to a code, they are more powerful, like without a doubt. Uh, the lever feels about the same. I, I personally wish that they had improved that because like stuff like the Hayes Dominion, still beats them by quite a ways in terms of like light lever action and uh even stuff like the trp dhr still wins there but if you're looking for just power above all else i think the mavens are like going to be one of the better contenders out there Mm -hmm. all right well that all makes sense and with that we can move on into a great show with elliot jackson You guys don't have the beeps though. We had we had beeps on when we had rate when we were racing. I can do some beeps. Okay, so beep, 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 oh my God. beep. <laughs> Elliot Jackson, welcome to the Pink Mike Podcast. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> I, so it was funny. I remember um my teammate was Marcelo Gutierrez on Giant, and um one of the things he did, because you literally are sitting in this in the starting gate on downhill race or whatever, and you have those beeps. And he was saying that he recorded the beeps and put it in headphones and then went to a beach, uh, like a beach, to like try to like re um make them less stressful. Kind yeah, of? like recondition his his like relationship to the be- to yeah, the beeps. That's um, interesting. Cause I feel like for my yeah, for myself, yeah. I almost like the stress that the beep brings I love to that you. So much. Yeah, you were you were saying, Sarah, what did you say before we started recording that um you liked transcribing podcasts because oh, it quickly. was stressful. like not when i have a month and a half to do it because then i just procrastinate it but if i'm like oh i gotta get this out like in two days because there's breaking news coming out i'm like <laughs> you're beep, like beep, a fiend you're, you're like a, a news fiend <laughs> yeah but i mean sarah is it different for for xc when you when you hear the I mean, like I think I enjoy those like butterflies of like, you know, mm-hmm. the green means go. I went and watched the World Cup last year at Mont Saint Anne and I get butterflies just like watching that, you know. So I think it's yeah. uh, it's 
I can see wanting to make it less stressful, but I think it's also, you have to kind of embrace the the stress if you are a high level athlete. Well, I also, I just, I need to like keep, um, kind of like spouting off these Sarah stats. So 1,499 (laughs) articles in 2022 (laughs) approved. (laughs) Yeah. And that's also not the entire year. That's the first 11 months before having a baby. Yeah, I took the, the last month off, you know, November 22nd. <laughs> off, is, off is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yes. <laughs> it was off. I wasn't working on the phone site. I'm, you know? I'm like now convinced that you were like in bed, just like hitting the go button on articles. <laughs> 24-7. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, no, we, yeah, we hired some people in the UK so that we can all sleep. Yeah, yeah. Nice. thank you. But, thank uh, you, but yeah, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah approves a lot of articles and she turns a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of shit to gold going on over there. So yeah. thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, thank well, you. thanks for, um, you. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. And also thanks for having me. I, I, uh, I don't know if, am I supposed to introduce myself or I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Mine as well since we're here. <laughs> yes, who are you? I think Henry, I think, isn't Henry supposed to do that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't, no, I don't, yeah. Well, let's assume, let's assume he's done it, but yeah. Elliot's here. Elliot, thanks for joining us. Catch us up. You're, what's going on for you for 2024? Oh, man. Um, I feel like, I feel like this year has been crazy for everyone. Like everyone in the bike industry, everyone like mm-hmm. around the bike industry. Um, for me, it has been I, I I had like three or four months at home, which was amazing. That's like the longest period of time I've probably spent in one spot, like at home in years, like years and years and years. Um, and I got to work on Grow a lot, Grow Cycling Foundation, nonprofit. Um, and that has been amazing. And now just like starting to ramp up, going to Hardline, which would be cool. So like still doing all the Red Bull stuff, still riding. Um and yeah, yeah, those three buckets still exist, like riding, Red Bull, and grow. How has the last time we chatted, you know, was I think deep in sponsorship season and everybody's stressed and we're looking at all the team moves and stuff. How did that all go for you and how has it gone for your peers? Man, so it's so funny. I feel like, so I have had kind of like the same relationships for a really long time now. Like Shimano I've been with for like over a decade. Um, Santa Cruz I've, you know, I'd like, I guess been with not so long, like three or four years now, but like known them for so long. And I think I was lucky in that way. Um, the other bit that was lucky is like, I have a bunch of contracts, my bike contracts that are two years or three years that are not up this year, which is just the best. Like when you, (laughs) hit the jackpot like that i think it's ideal um and then it was funny because i was like oh my god i avoided everything and then like i had this company i was working with and they like did some wild stuff to like get out of the contract um and i was like oh that's really interesting the thing i always say is like you don't have a relationship with the company you have a relationship with the person and so there was just like some turnover there. And um, 
and I used to have this amazing relationship with the person that was there and then she left and like the new person I never really got to know. And so like for her, it was just like, oh, like here's an, a, a like non-trivial item. way, but a trivial way to like save budget and I'm going to do it. Um, and so what can you do? I guess, you know, is that, and just for context for people listening, I, I assume, you know, but just in case this is, this is being recorded in early 2024. And, uh, the bike industry has seen a lot of this recently. There's been a lot of layoffs, a lot of athletes and ambassadors and personalities are finding it hard to get support for their projects. And Elliot wears a lot of different hats, but all of them require support. So totally interesting times. Yeah. And it was ironically too, like the bike industry companies have, well, everything has been really great but like that company is like a big outdoors brand and so it's kind of like you kind of see it i guess everywhere and um yeah so it's just interesting it's just an interesting time um i also feel like it's an interesting time because i feel like there's kind of like a lot of opportunity at the same time if you are in a place to like take advantage of it like if you were going to build a brand as an athlete i think now would be this bit fascinating because like exposure i guess is the cheapest it'll ever be like if a brand doesn't have a bunch of money to hire the best talent or whatever like if you were an up-and-coming athlete like i would be like man you know santa cruz or like patagonia or whoever like i'll do this thing for a lot cheaper that way i can like build my brand now and then have that to kind of show for it uh when they do start like hiring the bigger names or you know have money to pay people and whatnot it really does just feel like some version of the whole stock market buy low thing. <laughs> totally. Actually, <laughs> actually does. Yeah. Do you think that the, the relationships are stickier on the endemic side versus sort of the like larger outdoor thing? I realize that your situation is like a sample size of one, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, the, like my, the two like takeaways that I've had is like, man, relationships matter so much because um, like the the people that I have good relationships with um, will figure it out. Like even if they couldn't, even if they were like, hey, Elliot, like I need you to take a pay cut this year, I would trust that they would be able to like make it up on the back end like in a year or two years or whatever. Um, like luckily I haven't like had to do that or anything, but I think that that's number one was like, okay, like all of these relationships that I've built and like the caring about people and like, you know, not being super transactional, um, has paid off. And like, you know, maybe I didn't get as much money or whatever as I could have at certain points in my career, but like, this is a moment where I feel really comfortable. And like, also that I feel really, really lucky. And the other thing I think is interesting, like on a more like meta point of like brands is like the way that people are marketing in general, where the good brands are, everyone just wants to sell products. Like no one's coming out with new stuff. And so they're like, how can we just like sell all the product that we have? And the good brands are like telling a story using the product. And then the like not so good brands are just being like, we have a bunch of product, you should buy it. <laughs> but it's like, everyone is doing this like product marketing thing. I mean, yeah, product marketing is is the only marketing in 2024. Um, but you're right. 
the brands that are going to win at it are the one long term are the ones that don't just go like we have a product and we're selling it for 40 percent off yeah please buy it yeah you know there's got to be something i mean at some point you need you have product you need to move it to balance the books but the ones the brands that have a longer term vision will probably the one be the ones that benefit from from a tough time yeah i mean i wonder what it's like for you guys like what is it like um what's the conversation like with brands and stuff like that uh i feel kind of i'm hesitant to say this but i'll say it because <laughs> he asked you a direct question you have to answer <laughs> yeah uh so I, I mean we are in an incredibly privileged position i think that pretty tough for media in general right now um and i'd say that the conversations are are tough here as well and it, we're privileged in a lot of ways one of the ways is that i am um all of us where we keep ourselves pretty arm's length from some of the more commercial and transactional conversations that have to happen mm-hmm. um shout out honestly shout out to our sales team that does a great job and uh doesn't wreck my life too much and i, I really appreciate that the conversations in 2024 are hard around around media and sponsorship and people buying ads and stuff but i honestly think that they're more constructive conversations than they were in 2020 and 2021 mm-hmm. when brands were like <laughs> yeah, have unlimited we don't have money. any product to s- <laughs> yeah yeah we have unlimited money and no more product to sell right. because everybody wants other stuff like we don't need anybody right. we don't that need is any really help. interesting huh? so like I don't, I don't, it's not necessarily like, I'm not happy for a bunch of people's troubles. Um, and it's not nice to see some of these brands that are going away or about to go away or people lose their jobs. But, um, you know, brands have too much product and they can't sit on their hands out of that problem. Yeah, They're going to have to communicate mm. their way out of that problem. So whether that's a, a banner ad on pink bike or supporting something Ben Cathro's doing or whatever, like it's, uh, the con- at least the conversations are are constructive right now i'd say yeah so not not easy but it's moving forward do you sarah like have you do you see like the shift in content like when you're looking at articles is there i don't know like that's a good question i think it's still like pretty early like coming into the year i wonder like maybe we'll see fewer of those like big budget video productions from brands um and I think we were talking about also like how many World Cup like recap videos there was at some point and right. who's to say <laughs> that will necessarily happen this year. Um, we always Did you guys, yours, we, you know. <laughs> was, was there? Um, yeah. Yeah. You guys are totally like, look, ours is going to be on. We'll uh, it's going to air. It. Yep. Red Bull TV. <laughs> yep. Watch it wherever you get your Red Bull TV. And um <laughs> Do you feel like this year was like the biggest shakeup in terms of like downhill race teams and athletes and stuff? It's the biggest year since I think I've been at Pink Bike, but I think also because I didn't necessarily manage all of those relationships before. We used to have James Smirthwaite who would kind of like 
he was our sure. news guy and would get all the scoops. And then this year uh-huh. it was like, whoa, all the scoops are where did a you lot guys of the get scoops, the scoops were coming to, to me. Um, really? Oh, I can't tell you. We've got a top secret. <laughs> You're not going to ruin it. sources. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they like. If it's you just actually get, like, Elliot Jackson. Guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like the least gossipy guy. Like, I'm. People will be like, "Oh yeah, you should probably know stuff." And I'm like, "Oh really? Like, like so and so is doing X Y Z." So how much like, when you were doing the behind was it behind the tape did you see elliot you just said you're the most, least gossipy person in the world but like earlier on this podcast when we were talking about this podcast henry was on on the call we were chatting yeah and we talked about what on about aaron Gwynn is announcing something in the next few days which will have already happened by the time this podcast comes out and you should have seen Elliot's eyes well, light up. Yeah, he's, but, like, he's like, what is it? Yeah, tell me. That's what tell I mean, me, guys. Like, yeah, like everyone, I guarantee you, like if you ask everyone on the World Cup circuit, like everyone would already know. Well, maybe. Aaron's, Aaron's good. He's, he's, he's pretty mercurial. Yeah, he, he, is, holds he is. Cards close to his chest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you didn't have like pre and post chats in the studio with all those athletes when you were doing the show last year was it called behind the tape wait sorry what was called uh that's that's close i'll give it to you is uh beyond the line Uh, we were (laughs) yeah there was a bunch of stuff going on they wanted inside the tape but there was already another brand (laughs) we were were also trying to get like rob's line in there at some point like look at the time and Uh, so like i think at one point somebody made that like oh it's a little bit rhymey or whatever yeah Um, look at the line yeah mm -hmm. so (laughs) i i i think with all the athletes i think i'm just like friends like i don't really i don't care that much like if i you don't even realize you've got a scoop you're just like oh yeah (laughs) they told me they're riding for a specialized next year and you're like totally oh no way (laughs) the yeah like the downhill athletes i um i feel like i'm like just really good friends with most people and then I think one of the things like working at Red Bull, like doing the commentary, I started to get into XE more. And then like on the show last year, we had like obviously Emily Batty was um, the XE expert. Mm-hmm. And so like getting the inside scoop from her was great. A little bit of goss there. <laughs> and then also just like meeting more of the athletes. Like mm-hmm. they're all so cool. My favorite XE athlete beside Yolanda is uh, Puck uh peter shea she is so cool like she is super super cool that there was like that viral video of her like drinking the champagne and like taking pauline's as well and i was just like that is amazing yeah like there's like one xc party (laughs) at the end of the year there was like at mount saint anne and like uh it's just so great it's so cool they're finally allowed to go over 1600 calories yeah 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 and they spend <laughs> it all so, at the party oh my god it's so wholesome like it's i've luke it was like me luca shaw and um dante silva and like w- everyone was standing around the bar there's one bartender there's like hundreds and hundreds of people in there and everyone's just like waiting their turn we were like dude if it was a downhill party, people would have stolen every single one of these, like, <laughs> alcohol bottles. <laughs> like, it would be chaos. Like, yeah, it was just like, oh, this is great. It's just like 
so nice. Yeah, like what and, are, is that? Like, what are the main differences you notice, like interviewing or just like hanging out with more cross country athletes compared to the downhill athletes? Because I'm like, I have all these stereotypes, but like, right? You know, I think they're both pretty professional now. You know, it's not. <laughs> I think everyone is everyone's super professional. Um, I think that it really shows how much more the mental side plays into downhill. Like, obviously, an XC. It's super, super important, but you just see people in downhill optimizing for the mental side of things. Like I was talking to Emily and she was like, oh my God, the downhill athletes are just riding around the pit. Like she had never, she had never even like crossed over the threshold into the downhill pits. And she was like, man, there's people just like riding around, like doing wheelies in the middle of the day. Like, shouldn't they be resting and stuff? And so you'd be like, uh, like at first glance, you kind of think that that's a little bit funny, but then when you dig into it, it's like, well, the optimal thing is for me to be like in the perfect mental mindset in downhill. And then for XC, it's like physically, obviously I have to be physically good in downhill and mentally good in XC, but, um, that optimization I think is like really interesting. I like that. Uh, yeah. I yeah, think I used to, yeah. That's yeah. what I used that's to really find cool. so hard about cross country racing is like you're traveling to these cool venues and then you're just like sitting around with your legs, you know, elevated trying to like wear your compression totally. socks and like not do too much and like you're in this cool totally. venue and you're like i'm riding a i don't know what are they like two kilometer track or something again right, and again right, and again right, right. and it's like oh man there's so much more to explore totally sarah did you did you ever avoid walking up or down stairs <laughs> before a race i mean like you wouldn't yeah, like you wouldn't exert yeah, yourself yeah, what do you too mean? much. Obviously, like, I did. <laughs> I wasn't like, what like kind of climbing the grass that? grind before a race or anything. Yeah. Sarah, did you notice yourself start to change at all when you started doing less cross country focused racing? Uh, I guess I kind of went like, like finish the season, and then you're kind of like, you don't race after that. So I don't. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, you travel and it's more fun to travel yeah. to a race when you're not like <laughs> to travel to somewhere with your bike and you're not just like going and riding yeah. like this one little non, lap or something. Oh my God. Non-bike traveling is actually the dream. Like I understand yeah. why people enjoy traveling like when you yeah. don't have a bike. Do you usually travel with a bike when you're kind of I going haven't. to World Cups or Crankworks or no? Never. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if I'm Crankworks especially Whistler. I like try to bring a bike I last like a year. Last year I got, a, I had a bike, but, um, it's just not worth it. Like I'm over, like if I go to Leo gang or something like that, like I'm there for like three days and to mm -hmm. bring a bike, you're on a train, you're trying to get in a taxi and then you try to build it up. And then, you know, where do you, you have to get a bigger car. And I, this sounds so first world problem me. <laughs> but it's it's way easier when you're just like have totally. a backpack and I, here I we go just, like where do you want to go like i'll jump in your car yep off we go <laughs> for sure yeah so how much you I, go ahead in the last few years i pretty much only have traveled with my paraglider and not a bike and it's world changing it's so different and so much easier <laughs> oh yeah a backpack alicia's alicia's the most interesting person in the I'm world i'm really not but thank you wait those things are huge aren't they like that's bigger it's than a, a bike. really big backpack but it's the shape of it is so much easier. Mm. It's just like it's it's a, uh, it's a speed wing, right? Like Elliot, it's a no, it's soft. Um, not a speed wing, but a oh. a big backpack. Okay, 
Don't you have a speed yes, wing? Yes, but it's as well? that's okay. a small backpack. <laughs> okay, yeah, there we go. We can get really into the minutiae of backpack sizes here if you want, but <laughs> but it's not in my small mostly. Is- is the main part of that (laughs) but it's sweet like i can put a bunch of clothes in there too and have to like keep the limit below 50 pounds so i like get it up to 49 and a half and that's like really not a lot of clothes to get there but oh my god it's so much easier than a bike (laughs) you're just like you fly (laughs) over there climb up a mountain like paraglide to somewhere else stay the night climb up another mountain paraglide to somewhere else (laughs) some of that honestly is the dream (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so how good. much are you actually riding these days elliot if Man. like you're traveling so much and then you're like oh it was nice to be at home for three or four months because were you actually riding your bike or are you kind of i i haven't been riding nearly as much as like i would have liked to in the last like really in the last like probably like two years mm-hmm. i've just been like so busy and like mm-hmm. summers have been yeah i'm like traveling all the time and then winters, um, yeah, like, I don't know. This winter, I've been up in Seattle, and so I got some riding in. And then you got then real winter for the first and time. And then I got real winter, and I was super <laughs> sad. I'm not sure why anyone does this to themselves, but all good. Um, I'm going to try to, like, ride some more, like, in February, and I have, like, a busy March, but I'm going to try to ride some more. And I feel like it... I feel like I hit my like um retirement phase like it was <laughs> lagged. <laughs> like my last year racing World Cups was 2017 and then I raced like Crankworks and did a bunch of races until 2020. And then I was still riding a bunch like all the way up until 2020. And then after 2020, like I got busy but also I felt like I was like, "Oh, I can literally do whatever I want. Like I can order cupcakes and I can just not ride and I can just (laughs) sit down and I can don't have to do anything. Right. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) all the pressure built up and then you were like, I'm not a professional athlete anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I can ride my bike for fun, but you've been underwear modeling. I saw. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How many like cupcakes? I need to delete those pictures off the internet, to be honest. <laughs> Definitely put them in this. Oh, God. I hope they paid you, you know, in cupcakes. Man, you know, you know, like, so Carl, um, Pinkbike okay. co-founder. Yeah, Kirk, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So I love him and I just hate him so much because <laughs> there was a, like, for so many reasons, so many reasons on both of those, yes. on both sides of those. Um, but I remember him telling me there is this i don't even know why I'm, this is like total streisand effect but there was a video of me crashing at at sea otter in slippers uh-huh. in like 2013 or whatever i know you know i know you know um and i remember talking to carl and he was like dude when i saw that i told them to slow it down as slow as they could go and put it up on the home page <laughs> oh, <laughs> i was no. like carl why <laughs> why do you do that to me like and literally i still to this day people are like oh dude like saw you crash at sea otter that was insane like, man that was like literally 10 years ago oh wow <laughs> but it's still making the rounds well alicia yeah. you had a video like that didn't you where you crashed oh yeah in an enduro um, but that was like six years ago or it was quite a while ago i don't think now, it right? was an in enduro but it was like i want to say around 
2015, 2016, somewhere in there. I was working at Mammoth Bike Park for a summer and trying to learn how to ride Mammoth Bike Park and hit this dumb little drop that landed on essentially concrete pavers and crashed pretty badly. And oh man, it was incredibly painful. Like the pavers were pretty bad for a lot of my skin and also a lot of my bike parts and kind of just like sandpapered down everything on my handlebars. So my brakes were both gone, my dropper post lever, my shifter, (laughs) just like everything was cheese grated, including like so much of my skin. (laughs) And yeah, I, that one continues to make the rounds somehow. This is probably it. Go ahead, Sarah. Go ahead. I think it, you said it made it into like a Friday fails, like relatively yeah. recently. Yeah. You yeah. were like, what? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, I saw it. Well, I didn't actually notice it. Some commenter like tagged me and was like, poor Alicia, this video is still making the rounds or something. And I was like, wait, <laughs> that's insane. And insane I don't that- think I've seen it. I gotta look now. And I haven't <laughs> seen the slippers one either, so I gotta go uh, this look is too terrible hard. for both Carl, of us. <laughs> Carl definitely, definitely knows how to win. I know. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. There's a that's definitely not the worst Elliot Jackson and Carl Burkett story that could have been told on this podcast, though. So we'll just leave that there. Hey? <laughs> oh my god! Now like I'm extremely I said, intrigued, I, but I'll leave that I, there. I love him. I love. I love Carl. Carl. That's like. I feel like there's so much history with like me and Pink Mike, and I. I mean, and everything. Like Carl was one of the first people that that I met, and it was funny. Carl was like. Um, me and bernard he was like oh yeah well anytime you need food or or anything or drinks at like when you go to interbike or if you go somewhere like that was him sponsoring us when we were like both scrappy scrappy young things that's cool (laughs) that's amazing yeah i think carl has a lot of people like that little yeah uh yeah yeah because most of the time when i started working at pink bike um he would you know, not be kind of involved in the the day to day news side that often. But then sometimes he would forward Brian or forward me an email from yeah Bernard or somebody and be like, "Can yeah. you get this up on the homepage?" And I'm like, oh, "Yeah, okay, sure." Totally. Like, I guess <laughs> this is an important person. Right. <laughs> I, I like that this is Elliot's podcast. We're going to spend most of it talking about Carl Burkett. But I, before I worked at Pink Bike, uh, Carl Burkett helped me bail one of my athletes out of jail. So no you know. way. Yeah. It's <laughs> he is one of those people that has had like so much influence. I mean, and like he's been a mentor to a lot of people like on the business side, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like with me and Bernard and stuff like that. I remember being at Interbike with him and just like he'd be like, "Yeah, this is what you should ask for. This is like not good. This is this is good." Um I think he did that for like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So he was men- mentoring mentoring you and kind of that like telling you what you were what you were worth and what brands yeah, to approach sh- and that kind of thing for sure yeah wow. yeah yeah definitely <laughs> like i think it's because i mean this actually kind of segues into like one of the things we're doing at grow but like you just um there's so you have no idea like we mm-hmm. did a podcast i did a podcast with um harriet Burbage smith and mm-hmm. robin gooms uh, last year and I was Rob and I Rob Warner and I were talking to them and we we're like oh dude like you're on Red Bull now like that must have opened up so many doors and 
you know, you guys can kind of do whatever you want. Like you're two of the greatest female mountain bikers that we have right now. And they're like, oh, like we wouldn't even know what to pitch or like what to ask for or like that that was possible mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. And you're kind of like, well, of course not. Like, why would you, you know, like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like you just wake up one day and say, I know how to put together a budget for a $150,000, you know, film and like what, what that means and how much I should get paid for it or what the photographers and videographers do and what the theme of it is going to be or whatever, you know, like you, you maybe have seen stuff over the years and, um, and like have ideas of what that could be. But like to bring that to reality, I think it it takes like a lot of like acumen, you know, it does. And let's use this as a teaser because you do have something, you do have something that addresses that, that I'm excited. I'm excited for, but let's, let's just like talk about grow cycling in general, because I always forget that some people don't spend every waking hour on pink bike. <laughs> um, grow cycling. You started it in 2020. Yeah. Um, and again, Carl, Carl helped support that early on. Yes. And what a guy. you, you, you too. Like there's, there is like probably, I, I think I talked about it on the last podcast, but there's like a hand, probably like literally a handful, like five or six people that like willed that willed grow into the world. And, um, Brian Park, you were totally one of them, like yeah, but in so many different ways. I did it with Carl's money though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, so the there's like an interesting thing to me because um we the founding story I think was interesting because I um now it seems really obvious that that was uh it was a good bet to make maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that we were gonna do something or like we would get some publicity and kind of do that but like in the, at the time it was not it was totally not a given you know um. For those that maybe don't know, can you explain what what the goal of Grow was in 2020 when you started it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, so we promote education, access, and opportunity that increase diversity and inclusion in cycling. And I think, like, defining diversity and inclusion is really, like, do I feel like I belong? And then, like, how many different groups of people can we get riding a mountain bike? Like, whether you're, mm-hmm. you know, two years old, 90 years old, you know, you know, white black like every group um what does it mean to like have an opportunity to do what you love to do in cycling and i think when you look at the like underlying factors that make that difficult uh there's a lot of things that are really similar for a lot of different groups and so in 2020 um really just started it because i was kind of the person that a lot of people went two in that moment of like you know you had george floyd you had covid like everyone was kind of like trying to figure out what to do um to increase representation like there was this there was a survey by usa cycling in 2020 and four percent um of the members were black and asian and and latino or around that same thing 83 percent were male and then only 4% were 17 and under. Um, and so you kind of think about those demographics and it's like for us, like those are all the demographics that we're trying to um, improve. And I think if you, there's like a through line, I think through that. And if you thought about like 
different areas, different, you know, even accessibility and things like that. Um, a lot of stuff that feels really similar um, that you can kind of tackle at the same time. And so I was like, man, we can totally do something about this. But I like set on meetings for like eight hours, like every single day for like months. And I heard no, like so much. <laughs> I heard no, like you're not the right person. Bike industry can't do this because our, our goal is to raise $1.2 million to build a pump track in LA, like first kind of dedicated cycling space in the space of about 5 million people. It's like, oh, bicycle industry can't raise this much money. Or like, this is not going to work. We built a pump track and it didn't do anything. Like, blah, 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 blah. So we had, yeah, we had these founding partners and it was Pink Bike, Yeti, Fox, Santa Cruz, and, and Rafa. And those were like the original brands. And we had tasked them to raise $100,000, like in whatever way they could. Um, and you have like these small brands like Yeti who uh we're super creative like you know nate hills like did this follow camp friday they painted a um you know they painted this custom painted frame and and raffled it off and like you guys did a bunch you guys like helped us promote that stuff you put the stuff on the home page like everyone kind of came together and it was it was actually perfect because we kind of said why don't we outsource the marketing to all of the instead of us hiring a marketing team when we outsource the marketing to these uh very big companies that already have this function. Um, and we can use that for both, right? Like we can give our partners all of this promotion and publicity, and then we can also gain from that, which is like getting the donation. So like probably half of that 1.2 million, not maybe not quite, came from individual donors. We've had like over 10,000 individuals donate to grow. Um, and so yeah, That's fast wild. forward. Yeah, it's, it's That's wild, wild, right? Um, and it shows, I think it shows like how much people wanted to will this into the world. And so we launched, we opened the pump track September 28th of last year. And we had like, um, we had like a thousand people come out and there were so many people who, you know, like we didn't know, you know, like I was, I, I had actually Hannah from, um, from social like Vela news and, and, and pink bike and stuff. She was like, yeah, can you do a, whatever, a takeover? And I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. Like, no stress. <laughs> and like so many people were coming up to me that I didn't know, like from Inglewood and from LA being like, oh, you know, I told my mom, this kid was like, I told my mom that I was riding to this new bike park. And she said, there's no way I'm going to let you ride the train. And he was like, no, 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 it's three blocks away. And so he just like rode his bike there. And there was all kind of stories like that. And I mean, like even now, you know, we're a couple months in and we probably have like 200 people there every day. Um, and it's just, uh, it's pretty amazing. One of the, one of the things just to, is there's been like so much learning, I think. Um, like one of the interesting ones as we've dug in, kind of talked about it. So you have Santa Monica, which is about five miles away from Inglewood. Uh, really typical kind of like cycling city, um, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the amount of coverage that you have for sidewalks and bike lanes, it's like over 90%. And you look at Inglewood and it's less than 5%. And this is like literally five miles away, same population or like same population size, like over 100,000 people. 
And um, in the cycling industry, we had this realization about like the kids wheeling and stuff like that. But one of the things that people say is, oh, like, I wish they wouldn't ride on the street. Like, why are they riding down the street? And so then you start to think about it and you say, oh, the reason they ride on the street and in big groups is because the only way that they can ride is by actually taking over the street. And, and like, that's the only way they they can actually be safe riding is because like, they don't have bike lanes. They don't have sidewalks. They don't have any like bike parks or anything like that. And they don't have their parents to like drive them out to some trails 45 minutes away. And so I think that that's stuff like that has been really interesting when you kind of see the byproduct of, um, how many people love bikes and like the trials and tribulations and the creativity they'll go through to ride them. Um, where it's like, we just, yeah, like, Hey, let's get 300 people together and ride together down the street so that like, we can actually ride our bikes and like have fun. I mean, bikes are cool. Bikes are cool. Bikes are really cool. <laughs> it kind of seems like Grow has sort of two areas of focus. There's like the physical like place to ride a bike, like building a pump track. And there's also kind of the human opportunities, like job opportunities and access and kind of meeting the right people. How did you settle into both those areas to kind of make the points of all of it? I think it goes back to me to that idea of opportunity. Like I I don't really see us as this um organization that is I see us really as like the infrastructure layer and I really like that idea of if you want to ride a bike, can you? And if you want to go and try to race downhill, like can you if you want to be a you know an engineer or you know a, a journalist or a marketer or whatever like is that possible um and so i think that for me i look back at my career and i had the opportunity to do all this stuff like whether it was you know having parents that would <laughs> willing to fly to italy with me and do this go to this world cup race or whatever um or red bull like reaching out to me to just say, hey, do you want to do a YouTube series? Um, and so all of that stuff is just opportunity-based. And so if we can kind of expand expand the knowledge, expand the kind of development and training, and then like the access itself, um, I think you build the access layer and then you can build building blocks on top of that to, to kind of help people achieve whatever they want to achieve. I mean, one of the things I love about the Pump Track, Pump Track Project is that like, I mean, Inglewood is it, it, uh, it has it has such extreme poverty, um, and a pump track isn't going to like quote unquote fix everything or whatever. But like, in terms of our little lane here in the in the bike world, it's such a cool thing. You must feel very like when you go and see what's going on at the pump track that you made happen. Does that feel good? It totally does. And I think, I mean, I think like so Inglewood especially was really interesting because it's like a tale of two cities where, mm -hmm. of course, you have the like the economic strife, but then you also have like another side of it. So it's like 95% non-white, but then at the same time you have SoFi Stadium, you have like, you know, it's like kind of like the home of hip hop and Snoop and everyone. Um, 
and you have people driving around in Mercedes and like people of color, right? Like, I think that like that was one of the things we thought was really important. Um, and at the pump track launch, like we had, you know, like a group of people come and with their bikes, with these like customized, you know, 24 inch cruisers and stuff like that. I, and I think it feels good in many ways to that, that thing will be there forever, that it's this permanent space that like, you didn't build a set of dirt jumps. That's going to get torn down. You didn't like, you know, you, you don't have a trail system that's going to be closed or whatever. It's like literally a permanent space that like will hopefully be there forever. Um, and so it feels good to just like be sitting here knowing that right the second there's people on the pump track, like having fun. Um, and then I think it also feels good to see how prevalent the bike is, um, everywhere and, and like on a more broad scale, like that we, we, including me or whatever, just, um, just haven't done super good job of like creating a product for them, if that makes sense. Um, and really understanding, you know, if there's 300 kids riding bikes, but then everyone thinks that no one rides, rides bikes, uh, in downtown LA, like that seems like a problem, you know? I think since 2020, I think attitudes towards like proactively trying to, um, in like increase representation have kind of like waxed and waned. There's been a lot of back and forth, but, uh, but it's pretty hard to argue with like more kids on bikes kind of thing. Has, how's that conversation gone for grow and what's your take on bike industry in 24 versus 2020? Yeah, I think from the, I think, I think our message and our purpose from the beginning was that idea of like, this is an opportunity issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Like if not you, a merit issue, not a, like the, let's see. How do you start from the bottom instead of the top? Um, like maybe even using myself as an example, like it's interesting to think about, like, if you thought about me starting to ride from the moment that I got a bike and then the, the moment that I, um, you know, was racing at at the world cups and getting top 20s or whatever like how many barriers did i had that i have to hop over or go around that like a cohort of people weren't able to do that right like you you grow up and then who introduces you to the bike okay there's something that like a bunch of people fall off on okay and then like how many people actually know that you can have a career in bikes or or compete on a bike that it's not just transportation. There's another group of people that are now, okay. And then who teaches you where to go and what to do? Um, like, how do you even race in the first place? What do you need to do to train? There's another cohort that drops off. And so I think depending equipment, on what you're in, you know, yeah, like yeah. equipment or like, and even, even the, just the desire, the culture, like, do my friends ride? Do I, do I want to ride in the first place? And so you have all of these cohorts that are dropping off. And I think the entry point that you come in at um, really determines that, like, I would have never been a downhill mountain biker if I would have stayed in Oklahoma where I grew up. Um, 
and it's not to say like now, right? Like you'd say, well, obviously there's no mountains, but like now you have Bentonville and in Texas, like where people ride mountain bikes and there is like culture around it. And so I think that it's really to say like where you, where you grow up, the culture that you're in, the communities that you're in, um, a lot of the time dictate the opportunity that's there, even just from a, do I have exposure to the opportunity? So I think that that was why it was important for us to like kind of bring that there instead of saying, hey, everyone come out to Big Bear or come out to Malibu or come out to all of these places that are surrounding, um, you know, LA, like let's go there and then we can start to um, kind of build, build there. Did kind of looking back at the opportunities that made a difference for you and your bike path determine kind of what you decided to include and grow and how you kind of structure creating opportunities for other people? Kind of noticing think, what actually made a difference in a real way? I think so. I mean, I always like my, it's it's really like my mom and I, and my, my mom is just like this amazingly talented, smart person. Um, Your mom is a badass for sure. <laughs> she's insane. She yeah. Like she is, um, she was in, she started an investment bank. Like we grew up and we didn't like, we weren't super well off or anything like that, but both my parents are entrepreneurs. My mom started this investment bank from the kitchen table, just like convinced a bunch <laughs> of brokers to, yeah, like it's, it's a whole, she should write a book. Um, I'm remotely a fan of her already. Yeah, uh, you would be Alicia. She's she sounds so great. badass. <laughs> it was actually insane, and so I like pulled her um, out of retirement to like work with me on this. But I think to your point, Alicia, like really a lot of what we talk about is like how do you build for like the Jackson family when we were younger? Um, because we just did when we were younger, we just did free stuff. Like my mom would take us to construction sites because I loved watching like dozers <laughs> and loaders, or like we would go to, you know, the duck pond or um, ride around the park and things like that. We had this like amazing childhood, but we did stuff that was like free and cheap. And I think my mom and my parents always wanted to give me the opportunity to kind of do whatever I wanted to do. And we kind of started racing motocross and. Um, we, my dad, we used to think my dad was really good, but he, I think he was actually terrible. And, um, <laughs> and so I can't, again, I'm so not looking forward to the time the day when James has that realization about me. <laughs> my kid has that realization. It's like, oh no. Yeah, he just kept, he he kept getting, so cool right now. He kept trying to ride our, our motorcycles and kept getting like hurt. And we were like, dude, like you're just riding around the garden. Um, but I, I think about that, like, like, so for example, at the pump track, we want to hold, we want to hold races. I think competition is, is like one of the things that builds camaraderie, especially in like communities of color. And it's not so much like competing against the NBA or the NFL or basketball. It's like, how do you partner with them? Um, and I think we think about national championships and world championships, but in every other sport, like under 17 is, <laughs> it's the thing. You know, mm -hmm. in motocross and in, in, in like in football and basketball, you're playing sports in elementary school, in middle school, in high school, in college. Like you have these huge sports and we have Nike and stuff like that. But there's no entry point in cycling, really, where I can do it on my own without having to ask my parent. Um, there's a bunch of data that kind of like shows that that 
the people who have like memberships or whatever to cycling federations um also have parents who have memberships like if you look at the kind of like age demographics and age statistics and things kind of like of course because like how do i ride out of my um my neighborhood and like where do i go so we like really want to hold these races um and really want to like engage that youth and stuff like that like increase that four percent and like get kids interested i feel like that for us the competition is like video games maybe more so (laughs) Um, so yeah how do you break it down like i feel like you're kind of like looking at something massive like changing culture almost and you're like okay how do we narrow it down to like what can i actually like i think that's often the thing is you're like i'm overwhelmed with how much needs to be changed like how how did you like focus your attention on a couple things that you feel like you can make a, a difference with yeah i feel like um yeah totally it feels <laughs> i know what you mean <laughs> so i think that we like always start from the bottom instead of the top like i think the there's a bunch of symptoms that people try to treat um like mm-hmm. representation is amazing but i would much rather have organic representation rather than um like cherry picked representation and so if you can build the organic representation by like you know actually yeah building a pipeline or whatever and so it's like okay let's start from the bottom and then like what levers do we have to pull like i think it's that like access and community and the community is like a cultural thing um and so it's like i think for us looking at places that you can i think in la we were planning on kind of going a lot of different places but like in la you have so many different people um and access to so many people and if you can start and like be in the game for a really long time, I think that that's kind of what we're optimizing for, I guess. So it's like, what's the foundation? How do we like do this for like decades or like, you know, make sure that what solutions we have are like in place for like a really, really long time. Um, And then really trying to understand the community and say like, what do you actually need? Like, is it bikes or is it maybe a um a way to organize or is it a bike shop or is it learning or whatever and so i think that that's been like a really big thing too is just really talking to people and trying to understand what problems there are to fix first mm-hmm. well and on the topic of problems to fix <laughs> we talked about it a little earlier good segue hey <laughs> uh, I like but your self-congratulation there. I know. Yeah, I know. world's greatest moderator. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about earlier about how one of the problems is that people don't um, don't have the knowledge um, to to do the things that they're they want to achieve, or even if they do know what they want to do, they don't necessarily know how to do it. Um, and you have a plan. You have an idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't believe you guys have gotten me to like talk about this so much. This is like the longest podcast I've ever done. I grew up, like, <laughs> I know how like, your guests feel. It's, it's so I'm it's so weird because I am like this public persona and you're like, well, you talk for a living or whatever, but like 
with all the gross stuff, I'm like, man, just put me behind the scenes and like, just let me work away in peace <laughs> <laughs> or not in peace, but in like just behind the scenes. Um, yes. So that piece of like the knowledge to me is like really core. Um, and I think like all of us on this call and so much of the time we like, we have like so much expertise, like we have decades and decades of experience between all of us um and i think not not that so much that we forget it but like what's the best way to disseminate that information um and so after i after i started grow i like started going to these conferences um and i laugh because it feels so lame but they're so cool like they're so useful like um People for Bikes holds a couple. They hold the BLC, mm -hmm. and I've had the privilege to be able to talk there. Like People for Bikes has been amazing. They're kind of the the advocacy arm um, lobbying, I guess, right? Like the lobbying the arm industry. of the U.S. the U.S. Um, bike yeah. industry. Yeah, and they do some good work. Yeah, and um, and so I've met like so many great people there. So many great people in terms of people who helped me with grow. Um, my career, just talking, like all of these different things. And so we thought, what if we did this, took the same idea and just shook up who is actually there instead of having like the executives on the stage, like what if you had, you know, Crankworx athletes um, on the stage and instead of, you know, me being in the audience or whatever, um, or like executives being in the audience, um, what if you had like, kids and families and um underrepresented groups and like and the industry and like that was the mixer and so it's really we want to hold this thing called aspire in at crankworks or we're going to hold this thing uh this conference called aspire uh networking event i guess at the squamish lillawatt uh community center which is this amazing venue and um we're going to partner with them to bring to help some first nation groups get there which i think is also amazing like they've been such good stewards and and hosts of us at whistler for so long and supporters of us being there so i think that that'll be really special we're really excited they're really excited and so the theme of it is let's just teach people all the stuff we know like one of the panels i want to have is um like content creators so like getting somebody like bassman seenberg and jess the maker i haven't told jess yet so jess if you listen you should come um <laughs> blake hansen like what does it mean to create content like bass creates these amazing red bull movies and stuff like that these red bull like big big budget creating um entire tracks or whatever and then you have jess who's creating these 10 second instagram videos and you have somebody like my brother who's kind of in between taking photos and and um doing content content and stuff like that and like how do you do that like how do you like i was saying about about has like how do you pitch the project like what's my voice like how do you choose what to say and what's important how do you build an audience how do you like advocate for yourself um and so having that i want to greg greg minar is going to come um so him like talking about what it means to build this amazing career that he's done um i want to have this panel of marketers there to answer questions like like the dms that fill athletes instagrams are like how do you get sponsored how do i get free stuff should i post on my instagram 
Um, I'm sure you guys, I see you smiling. You guys get these emails all the time too. So like, how much does it matter? Like I want people credible there to say, this is what you should do. And to actually teach people that, like I see one of the ways that I've helped a lot of athletes is just by like looking at their pitch decks and kind of helping them promote themselves and find their value. Um, and I think that that is something that is like super overlooked. And so I really want there to be this like canonical thing there. And then the, um, I really want a bunch of women to come, um, and just, uh, talk about the first year in slope style at Crankworks and talk about where they want to go and the kind of the, and there'll be networking sessions, um, kind of in between. And the, really the reason we called it aspire is like at, um, at conferences, you have this badge. And it's usually like Brian Park outside Inc. <laughs> it's, like, it's always the things that I've done or achieved, not the things that you want to achieve. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so one of the hard parts about these things is like, how do you network? And so we said, um, Emily Burkle, actually, who's like, who's come on as our community director. She said, what if we have um, like aspiring X, right? So if you're an aspiring athlete or aspiring filmmaker, or aspiring marketer, aspiring engineer um and so now i walk around and like brian will be there better be there and he'll be like (laughs) (laughs) he'll be like oh my god you want to write or you're interested in media like now i know what to talk to you about and so Mm -hmm. we want like a bunch of industry there um so that you can say yeah like i (laughs) i have a bike company and i am looking for an athlete or i am looking for a marketer um to really bridge that gap and so that you can have those conversations and really just try to understand and have have that opportunity so this is like us announcing it it'll be on the grow cycling foundation website grow cycling grow cycling foundation.org um we'll do some pre-sale tickets and we'll be also talking to brands and so if you're a brand or if you know a brand um want to get involved like we're going to have some pretty interesting engagement ideas and uh, little packages and stuff like that i think it'll be a really cool way to to support everything that we're doing and kind of like bring this idea of like expanding the knowledge of cycling and mountain biking into the world i swear we didn't plan it like this but it is interesting how you brought up the like how carl burkett helped you and some other people earlier yeah and a lot of it, I mean, you know, Carl's helped in lots of ways. Uh, he's never going to listen to this, so we can be nice to him. With, <laughs> we can say nice things, and it won't affect his yeah, ego at all. But His head's um, already way too big. Like, not even, <laughs> like, physically too big. Physically too big, yeah. <laughs> Carl, for those listening, Carl is, like, 100 feet tall. He's just yeah. an enormous man. Um, dwarfed only by his brother, Radek. <laughs> I'm just but. still imagining Brian's name badge saying aspiring 3D printer. So yes. we get some yeah. world That's champion real. 3D yeah. printers there. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah. Yeah. It, it, but I mean, that is the, there's lots of people that have influenced all of us and who have helped all of us in our careers and goals. Um, but I think we can point really specifically to some key people um and i think there's also i can definitely think of a few places where it's like man i wish i'd attended a thing you know 14 years ago with the goals that i had and i wish somebody would have 
slapped me or like given me, you know, like told me, told me, do yeah. this, don't do that. Like given me well, a bit we, more of a pathwork or a framework, you know? We like, we all like, we all aspire and we all inspire. Like we all always have something to learn and we all have something to teach. And I feel like that is something like when people ask, like, what can you do? Like for all of it, we, we have so much, we we just have stuff we're good at. Like everyone has stuff they're good at. And so it's like, how do you, how do you kind of teach that? Um, so Alicia, what's your, what's your name badge going to say? Aspiring Ooh. X. Sarah, what's yours? Oh my God. Way to put the pressure on. I know, right? <laughs> I just sprang it on you. I got to be an you... aspiring paraglider and then uh, I can be, I can be right. with Alicia. And... <laughs> Sorry, does that have to be, uh, what's related to the conference? I could be. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it could be anything. I wonder what mine would be. Yeah. I feel like you should have thought about this part. Right. Earlier. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. What, is, well, what, I... are you, what are your aspirations? You're right. In... <laughs> I feel We're inspired I, by you, but what are I, you aspiring I, to? <laughs> I think aspiring I just love inspirer. Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> actually, though, like I think I, the thing I love the most is um, like just uh, learning and and having really like having interesting conversations with interesting people, and then like partnership stuff. Ironically, because it's. It's like this little puzzle of how do you like create these win-win scenarios. And I think that that's something that I've realized that I really, really enjoy um, that I would have never thought that I enjoyed 10 years ago or five years ago. Well, this event does legitimately sound like a really real way to create that. So that seems to line up so well. Yep. Yeah, you, uh, you're totally... You're totally going right alicia like it's um sounds like you're gonna be there gonna try. It sounds very sweet. <laughs> no promises no promises oh my god i'm but like i was like extremely oh, cool three or something like this good grief no no we will yeah we'll be there and sarah and alicia are both on the crankworks list so actually i think literally our entire team is on the crankworks list for this no year, way so you're saying it does sound so good that's uh that's crazy brian that you said that outside is going to be like the presenting sponsor that's wild <laughs> so wild Let's talk. <laughs> um, uh, i mean obviously we would love to help uh, okay okay I'll he loves the I'll partnership part he's getting into yeah. negotiations yeah live right on the yeah, here we go it's gonna be such a win-win <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're. I can tell we're. Yeah, we're gonna leave it there. <laughs> you, yeah. Should we end with? Mm, what should we end with? What was the thing? We need to oh, the highlighting. Um. Yeah. 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 People. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. We were gonna end with with people that need more shine. Who's everybody's got to be on the spot again. Um. With one person, I want to hear from you. One person that is in the industry on some level that you would like to see have more uh recognition i'm i'm gonna do i'm gonna do two okay (laughs) um one rider wise i would love for people to uh like follow yuki kashima more like he's just the nicest person he's like a downhill athlete from japan Oh, cool. And he's been on the World Cup circuit for 
almost as long as I, or like, like when I started racing, um, one Japanese national champs a couple of times and is kind of this mainstay. Everyone loves him. Uh, he's super, super talented and he's great. Uh, so go and follow him. And my second one, I'm totally advocating now for a, like, Sarah Moore profile piece on Pink <laughs> Yes. I'll second that. Yes. It's great. Well, lucky you guys. We actually uh, just recorded one with Henry the other day. So eventually it'll come Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 That so needs to happen. He mostly asks what I do at Pink Bike and, you know, all the ins and outs of how to get your content on the homepage. So you don't actually get to know me that well. You just. So okay, you said you do literally everything at Pink Bike, right? Uh, Sarah does all the work. Right, right? Yeah. Sarah does all the work. Yep. <laughs> Uh, well, I think, I mean, honestly, though, um, a lot of the people that work at Pinkbike, um, you see all of their work and they do great work, but you see it all. Um, Sarah's job is unique. There, there's a few people um, whose job isn't just to like make things. And Sarah, as the content manager, is one of them. And uh I, I genuinely, and you know, she isn't the first content manager. There's been a bunch of people before her, but I don't think people realize how big an impact those people have. And uh, because you don't necessarily see, you don't see who has um, approved the articles or who has, you know, coordinated with a bunch of different people to make something happen. Um, you just see the thing happen. And you're like, oh, cool. That was interesting. Let me read that. So uh, while we're uh, inflating Sarah's ego, we may as well get it all done in one place here. But yes. Get her on well, the front page. Totally. Elliot, that's a, that was a good one. I don't know if we can match that. Sarah, who's yours? Who, well, I was who just thinking, thinking like, I feel like we, uh, I don't know. I, the first person I think of is like, I really kind of came to like like Amy Kenyon on Pink Bike Racing and I'm like I really yeah. want her to like continue to thrive because mm -hmm. we like I've now got to know her through like mm -hmm. the the videos that we did and like the heartbreak and the you know it's like they told a really good story and I've never met Amy but I'm like I really want you to succeed so yeah that was the whole point of the series <laughs> Sarah we, want, we did the thing no oh, she's on a she's got a great she's on a great program for the year um, oh, good. with the junior team I mm -hmm. think oh, that that's public nice. yeah. I think oh I yeah think the teams are out now yeah that's public the team list is available now um, yeah. and uh, yeah she's got she's racing she's doing a thing she's got a whole program and um, we'll see her this year for sure that's awesome so that's my person who's your person Brian oh, I don't know uh, you asked the question and you haven't even I know I know anybody? I spent so much time <laughs> responding that I didn't have any time to think <laughs> Alicia, do you have one? I'll give my cop out answer in the meantime. I was just going to say my dad, he's not in the bike industry, um, <laughs> but this is mostly my attempt to just like sidestep actually shouting out anyone in the bike industry. <laughs> and where can we, we like, also and like, subscribe to your dad's content? <laughs> absolutely yes. nowhere. And that is exactly the point. <laughs> um, and because also right before we started recording, we had a kind of conversation about his very cool, fascinating life trajectory. Yes. But also, I think he was like the main influence in me getting into mountain biking, where he doesn't really mountain bike, um, but like was sort of interested loosely around the time I was sort of interested and got two mountain bikes uh, to be shared between me, my brother and my dad, because we were all almost exactly the same size. So convenient. Um, <laughs> and so like, I don't know, that was just like such a good bit of encouragement that actually kind of caught on for me and is 
pretty much responsible for everything that's happened in my life since then. Just, yeah, I don't know. I'll take it. That's amazing. Then, yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I, I was starting to brainstorm other people who are actually in the bike industry, but I might just keep the shout out to my dad because <laughs> he had a cool influence on the my, my bike I mean, world. I have to say, like, the people who really got me into mountain bike journalism, it's, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Canadian Cyclist. It's like, mm-hmm. a, if you're, it's a small mountain bike publication. Rob and Tracy are always at, like, all the World Cups taking photos. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I did an internship, a week-long internship with them when the World Championships were at Mont Saint-Anne. And basically, I think that's kind of like why from that, doing that, then I got a job at Specialized at Norco at Pink Bike. And no so I kind of just like cascaded from like my friend who got me into mountain biking. But then like that internship kind of made me realize like, oh, I could do this for like a job. So they actually like made it. It was a week long. Like you could win win a week basically of working at the at the world championships and little <laughs> journalism me was like oh my god this is the coolest thing i'd better submit my like five page cv or something so oh that's yeah, so cool those guys are awesome so yeah i feel like we could have a whole podcast episode about just like the random little like tiny random chance things that kind of led us to where we are because mm-hmm, so right? much of it is like not planned out but just happenstance and it seems to have worked out yeah totally okay um, I'm going to end it by Sarah, you reminded me of a person that I think should get more recognition for their contributions in the, in the sport is your former employee, Derek kid. Oh, he's a good, he's a good kid. He's just, a, <laughs> he's just a good dude. Um, Wait, do I know Derek? The, you probably know Derek. He, I think he works for SRAM now. He was at Norco for years. He's either in Seattle or Oregon. So he he's in live Portland. Portland. He's in Portland now. Um, just, but he's one of the people that I think he's a, a facilitator and collaborator, and he uh, encourages, always tries to get more people on bikes, and is just genuinely a, a good. He's a, a a force for good in the bike industry, um, and I don't. I think he flies under the radar a little bit with how he does that. He's also he's on the Pink most bike in the comments. He used to, to listen to this podcast out of all the people we named too. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah, he might actually listen. Yeah, he's on Pink Bike Lots. He's in the comments as D Kid. No so, way. Yeah. Wait, wait. Okay. I, I have to know, like, I have to get some comment goss before okay, we finish nice. up. Um, okay. First, would you ever do a, like, profile on commoners? Like, you don't know yes. this guy. <laughs> do you mean somebody specifically or the time where we tried to track down Pro Tour and do one on Pro Tour? <laughs> Wait, okay. Uh, have you ever had any Pink Bike commoner come up to you and say, I am this guy? Yes. At least is not yes as well. Oh, like not with their like my username is. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 for sure. Oh really? I haven't had it be the only part of the conversation, but I've had it come up in ways that I just like didn't really see as relevant to any of real life, but just like sort of were mystifying but funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Favorite pink bite commenter. You guys all have one. I know you have one. <laughs> I think Brian's got the the list. He he, he didn't oh, end, oh no, he did end up answering the last question, darn it. So we can't just be like Brian, you have to just I only have only a, I only have a list of least favorite <laughs> I think I have the same, really. Yeah. No way. You guys need to. Where's the, you guys the positivity? To, yeah. Well, 
the we remember the deep cuts Elliot. You, you guys got to create a culture I, I say, of like I should make a list of like all the people when I came back from maternity leave. Like the first person who commented on an article that I wrote, I could I could get to track down their name, but it was like, like welcome back, Sarah. Like people were, were so excited. It was uh, amazing. Was like uh, oh my god, I love the pink bike commenters. So. <laughs> that was like one of the best pink bike comment moments ever. I think right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good because i didn't get i was like oh i guess they don't really miss me because like mike levy had all these like where's levy where's levy where's levy and i was like oh, he really notices that i'm gone like oh, well <laughs> and then i came back and they were like whoa you're back so <laughs> more sarah more I, I will say i'm always blown away by the the level of knowledge in the like we make a lot of fun of the like armchair engineers and stuff but there's like some absolutely heavy hitters with proper like yeah i i mean if especially there's lots of stereotypes about the pink bite comments and most of them are true but um go into any other comment section or like on instagram or youtube and i'm like oh oh yeah no i really like the level of discourse on pb and like just the knowledge that's there like the collective knowledge is is impressive and i think the I mean, it's a whole bigger discussion about algorithms and blah, blah, blah. But like in 2024, a community of people that smart and engaged is is a powerful and valuable thing. They're so wide ranging too. Like mm-hmm. if you make even one like half educated sentence or whatever, the person who is really knowledgeable about that very specific thing is going to call you out. So you kind of have to make sure to like have it be as airtight as you can because <laughs> the best probably someone with like right. really obscure eccentric knowledge is going to read it. I, I love that so much. There's going to be an expert on pretty much anything. It so actually cool. is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's uh, I totally agree. Like pink by comments are actually really nice. And I totally big thank you to Pink Bike audience for helping the pump track get built. That was great. Yeah. I don't know if we've really said that, but honestly. That's yeah, a, totally. Yeah. Drop your positivity into the comments below this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. Man, I love you guys so much. It's actually insane how smart and funny and handsome <laughs> so and <handsome>. cute. <laughs> wow. That's so wild how like just the world's best people are listening to this podcast. That's that's so great. <laughs> On that note, thank you, Elliot. And nice to talk to you, Alicia and Brian. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk again soon. See you at Crankworks. Thank you, guys. And with that... There's our episode with Elliot Jackson. I think that was a good conversation. And we can move into Music Corner to wrap things up. I will start by recommending yet another NPR Tiny Desk concert. This one um, is from a trio called Krungbin. They're a trio that makes pretty interesting music that spans a lot of genres and influences and feels. And I just, I like the the variety of it. Um, So I recommend you give it a listen. Dario, what do you recommend? Uh, I am going to recommend an album. I'm returning to my roots here and not recommending a single song, but uh, I'm recommending the album by Idols called A uh, Joy as an Act of Resistance. Um, 
it is fantastic. It, it's one of my top five all-time favorites and worth a listen. And they're going to be going on tour soon. So I will be seeing them as many times as possible while they are in the Northwest. Sweet. I will check them out. Thanks for the recommendation. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Catch you next time. Adios. Adios.